Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Well, I just want to say thank you to our worship community for continuing to do the work to help us enter into God's presence on Sundays. Uh, you know it, I know it, we are living in strange times, but they can still be good times as we encounter the life of God in a real way. So if you are part of our worship community, I just want to salute you. Thank you to all those of you who are working behind the scenes, helping to uh, make worship happen. I'm just so looking forward to uh, the weeks and months ahead, and especially to those days when we will once again see God's people gathered in God's house on the Lord's day and uh, see you flourishing on stage with as many people as we <laughs> want to put on the stage and uh, with the ability to sing a little louder. So uh, thank you. And if you'd like to get involved, you can uh, send Pastor Josh, our worship arts pastor, a email, and he would love to engage with you to help you uh, get involved in helping to make our worship community go. His email is josh at gracecommunity.ca. A couple of things to uh, bring to your attention. Um, I've been hearing, obviously, that um, many of you are feeling disconnected these days, and I want you to know that I'm thinking of you and praying for you. I care about you, and I've really enjoyed uh, ramping up some of my own personal meetings with people, just spending time one-on-one, -on -one, of course, prior to this latest stay-at-home order. When we were still in red, I was really, really enjoying that. Looking forward to doing more of that uh, in the coming year. But there are many ways in which you can get connected. Just this month, we have uh, our Saturday night supper. So, of course, these days that will involve just cooking the food and bringing it here to Royal City Mission downtown. Uh, but it's a surefire way to feel connected by serving. If you are feeling disconnected, uh, take a look at your schedule and see how much time you've been spending actually serving people on Jesus' mission. Um, there's a chance, at least, that you haven't been doing as much of that as you should, and that's one of the reasons that you are feeling disconnected from the life of God and from the life of His church. We have a 5K run coming up to help support Elora House. It's going to be really cool. We'll have a, actually a route that you can run uh, socially distanced, of course, um, with your household um, and record it. And there's a whole process that's going to be involved. Or you can do it on your own. But uh, that 5K run is coming up this month. We also have our Monday night prayer nights. Those are really, really gaining some beautiful traction. I've been talking to some of you who are involved in those nights. And uh, you just keep telling me what a wonderful, life-affirming time it is. If you would like to join with some of God's people to pray for his mission uh, through this church in this city and around the world, I do commend our Monday night prayer nights to you. Something new coming up this month is our last Wednesday. On the last Wednesday of the month, Nikki, my wife, and I will host a Zoom hangout from our house in front of the fireplace. And uh, you can bring your favorite drink and pop online, and we'll just spend some time uh, chatting together. We'll probably have some... Uh, Stuff to organize that night around, a particular reading we'll send out, something for you to think about. Don't worry, it won't be long. It won't be like, oh, gee, i got to do the work before I go. But something to spark our imaginations and to uh, drive the conversation. So the first one of those coming up later on this month. Also, as I mentioned off the top of the service, at 11 a.m. this morning, you can uh, jump on to the Zoom link you'll find on the website to join me and Nikki and just say hi, drink a coffee and visit with us and with whoever else shows up. If you want to uh, stay in touch with us, a great way to do that is to join our email list. You can find that on our website. You can send us an email, info at gracecommunity.ca or visit our announcement page, gracecommunity.ca front slash announcements. Um, a lot of announcements, but it's really important to continue reminding you that there are ways for you to connect. I had someone tell me this week, in fact, that uh, they were just feeling a little low on a Sunday. They weren't going to uh, watch the service, 
but uh, somebody actually reminded them, hey, are you going to watch today? And they did, and just, actually two people told me this week, and they did, and just felt immediately re-engaged with uh, what God is doing through this house. So I just want to urge you to continue to fight the good fight, to connect where you can, to ask God for strength, and to encourage those that you know who are part of this community, and even those who are not, who are looking for some place to belong, some place to plug in. Encourage them to uh, check us out online and to jump into one of these services. We are now in our second week in our new series, 12 Steps to Freedom, exploring the book of Exodus. And I just want to give a shout out to my man, Devin, who's here helping me record this for you and just say, man, was his opener ever unbelievable. I hope uh, that blew you away as much as it did me. I will confess I've watched it 10 times in the last week. Um, we do a lot of work to make this as cool as possible so that you won't be embarrassed to send it to your friends so that uh, they can taste and see that the Lord is good. So thank you, Devin. I love you, man. I respect you. I really appreciate the work you are doing to help us do this in as effective a way as possible. I want to uh, help you take 12 steps to freedom over the next 12 weeks. Last week, we took step one. Step one to freedom is to remember that God's hand is upon you. So that was step one last week. If you missed that sermon, you can find it online. Just go to YouTube, put in Grace Community Guelph, and you can find last week's sermon right there or visit our website. This week, we take step two. And step two on your path to freedom is to remember that God is involved. Okay, step one, God's hand is upon you. Step two, God is involved. I get this, of course, for our purposes today, out of Exodus chapter 2. Now, this is usually the part in the sermon where I would sit down and read you the entire chapter. I'm not going to do that uh, today. I'm a little nervous about it, in fact, because I'm worried that by throwing off my rhythm, I'll somehow make this sermon uh, crappy. But uh, I'm not going to sit down right now and read you the whole sermon, because um, as we go through the sermon, I will actually read the chapter in its entirety, section by section. But remembering that God is involved is definitely the big idea on display in Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to introduce you in this chapter to 14 people who I have lumped into 10 categories. And I'm introducing you to these people in the hopes of doing two things. I want to show you how God was involved in their life. And I want to invite you to find your spot in the narrative, find your place in the story. Okay, we, uh, of course, know and acknowledge that we are preaching here from a very old book um, that is about God's Hebrew people and their journey from slavery in Egypt to the beginnings of freedom in the desert on their way eventually to the promised land. Of course, their story is not your story. It's not my story, but they were and are the people of God. And in Jesus, you have been adopted into that same people. And so when we see the ways in which God tends to interact with his people, um, because that God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, um, when you see how God reacts or interacts with his people, um, there's a very good chance that he will interact with you in similar ways. So I want to show you how God interacted with the people in the story as contained in Exodus chapter 2 with the hopes of helping you to find your place in that story. I want to invite you as we work our way through this to consider the ramifications of God's involvement in your life. So when you spot yourself in the story, so in one of these 14 people, in one of these 10 categories, um, I don't know which one you're going to spot yourself in. I believe that you will today. I said in the intro to today's service that I believe today's sermon has the potential to be one of those that rises to the level of 
being almost prophetic, almost being the word of the Lord to you today. So I hope that you're on pins and needles. I hope that you're on the edge of your seat a little bit today, expecting God to speak to you in a very direct and profound way. As you find yourself in the story of these 14 people, of these 10 groups of people, I wanna remind you to consider what the ramifications of God's involvement in your life are, what it's going to mean for you. It's one thing to acknowledge or to realize that, wow, God's involved in my life. The next step is to say, okay, what does that mean? The big idea for today's purposes out of Exodus chapter two comes from the end of the chapter in verses 23 through 25. I'll read the end as our beginning. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Here it is right here. Cue the goosebumps. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. There is your big idea. God heard. God remembered. God saw. God knew. And of course, I'm going to bring that into the present tense for you. God hears. Receive it. God remembers. God sees. God knows. Now, let's explore the ramifications. Beginning with verses 1 through 3 of Exodus chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. So here we come to our first three characters. First three of 14. A man, a wife, and their baby. In this story here, hopes for the future are represented. That man who had a wife was at one point in his life a teenage boy dreaming of having a wife. He hoped that one day he might find a life partner with whom to begin building a story. That man and his wife represents the fulfillments of their childhood hopes and dreams. The wife had a child, and in that age of the world particularly, perhaps more so than today, to have a child was considered a blessing from the Lord. It was kind of the apex of life, the ability to continue your family, to have as many kids as possible, to build the security of your family as much as possible through procreation. So you can bet that that young husband and wife dreamed of the day when they might bring a young one into the world. You can, of course, think about the cataclysmic moment that would have washed over them as they would have heard the news that we talked about in last week's sermon, that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the ruler who had enslaved them as a people, had now doubled down by declaring that every Hebrew child who was born male must be killed. And so you can imagine as she's becoming great with child, as her pregnancy is progressing, of course, she would have been worried, nervous that... If she had a boy, they were going to kill him. 
And I wonder if she was making her plans well before the time came for her to be delivered. There are hopes and dreams. There are fears caught up in these simple words, a man and his wife. We also forget that uh, they would have been busy with the work of life building. If we just read this with a cursory type glance, we forget that they are busy with building a life. Are you busy with building your life and are you finding yourself tired because of it? How many people do you know who are more tired these days than ever before because of the toll living under these restrictions is taking on them? Hopes and dreams and fears, the work of life building, and perhaps most powerfully here, there is hopelessness built into this story of a man, his wife, and their newborn son. Can you imagine hiding your newborn son three months, constantly in fear every day that the Egyptians might find out and come and not just take him away, but come and kill him. And as the story goes, she got to the point where she could hide him no longer. Imagine the awfulness of that moment when she realized, I got to build a basket and I'm going to have to put him in it and I'm going to coat it with tar to make it waterproof. And then I'm going to put him in the river because if I don't, they're going to kill him. So at least maybe I'm giving him a fighting chance. Imagine the despair and the hopelessness that's involved in this moment. Let's find our place in their story. Have you ever been in love? Have you ever been a spouse? Have you ever paid the price to build a life? And my dear friend, have you ever found yourself hopeless? Like that mom would have felt as she prepared that basket for her baby boy. If that's you, I'm here to tell you today, God hears, God remembers, God sees, God knows. So let me invite you to bring your hopes to Jesus today. Let me invite you to bring your dreams and your fears to Jesus today. Let me invite you to bring the fatigue you are experiencing as you struggle to build your life to Jesus today. Let me invite you, dear friend, to bring your helplessness before the Lord today. In fact, let's do so right now. Let's just pray into it. Lord, you know everyone who's listening to me today. You know exactly where they're at. You know their hopes, their fears, their dreams, Lord. You know the struggle they're having in building their life. You know each one who's feeling helpless. And so we ask, Lord, for you to minister into their life. Would you provide them power by your Holy Spirit and comfort, Lord. Would you give them the strength they need to endure, to take the next step? And right there in your home, all God's people said, amen. Next, we come to two more characters, a helpless babe and his sister. We find them in verses three through four. When she, the mom, could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Here's the sister. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done 
to him. I don't want you to miss the fact that here we have a baby being sent to his death. I mean, if she coated the basket real good, she's bought him a little bit of time and maybe a fighting chance. She's perhaps hoping that some Egyptian family will find him, but she has no guarantee. This is a helpless babe sent to his death and his sister helplessly standing by to watch it happen. Don't miss the utter heart-sick helplessness that is in play in the lives of these two characters. And I want to ask you, my friend, is that you today? Are you feeling heartsick? Are you feeling absolutely helpless and at the end of your rope? <sighs> Maybe you lost your job this week. Maybe somebody you know died this week. Maybe you know somebody who's Life began falling apart in earnest this week. Maybe that's you. If you can identify with absolutely heartsick helplessness, can I remind you that God hears? God remembers. God sees. God knows. So darn right, I'm going to pray again. Lord, for everyone who can hear my voice now, who if they were honest would admit that they're feeling sick with helplessness. For everyone who can identify with the sister standing horrified by the side of the river as she watches her little brother float away. For everyone who can identify with that kind of pain, with that kind of loss. Would you, Lord, supernaturally reach into their life even now? Friend, receive it if that's you. We're doing this for you today. Would you, Lord, reach into their heart? And would you bring the comfort that only you can bring? And would you, Lord, move them through their helpless situation into victory? And again, I could do this all day. All God's people said. Amen. Maybe your life is, uh, maybe your life is good, right? Maybe you don't identify with heartsick helplessness. Well, if your life is good, there's a word here for you too. It's found in verses five through six. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young men walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Here he meets an Egyptian princess, a daughter of privilege. This is a buzz word in our culture these days, privilege. I was talking to, it seems like <laughs> every month there's a new kind of privilege that uh, we are examining, taking a second look at, checking to see how we perhaps are complicit in taking for granted those things that we should perhaps not. This is a daughter of privilege. This is an Egyptian princess. I want to use this opportunity to ask you to take a look at your life to assess whether or not you are privileged. The reason we want to examine our privilegedness is because if it's true that from whom, from him to whom much is given, much also will be expected. If it's true, 
that if you've been given much, much will also be expected from you, quoting there Luke chapter 12, verses 48. If that's true, then if you are privileged, God requires something from you. You could say it this way, to the degree to which you are privileged is the degree to which you have a responsibility. And I want to say this gently, I don't want to come across as heavy or browbeating you here. And I want to say that I'm guilty of this before I even say what I'm going to say. But I know that in our culture, one of the dominant movements is a singular focus on building your life. A singular focus on building my life, taking care of my own of circling my wagons and doing everything I can to make sure that my people are okay. And I was struck as I wrote this, remembering the scene in Schindler's List. It's a somewhat older movie now. It came out when I was in my early 20s. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it to you. It's, it's very disturbing. It's Steven Spielberg's Oscar-winning masterpiece where he explores the Holocaust. It's absolutely harrowing. Um, if you haven't seen it, you'll probably only ever be able to see it once. But it chronicles the story of Oskar Schindler, who was a German businessman who throughout the course of the Holocaust got involved in trying to save as many Jewish people as possible from the concentration camps and spending more and more of the money of his successful business to buy as many Jews as possible out of certain death. And at the very end of the movie, when he's being recognized as a righteous man by the Jews that he has saved, he falls completely apart, pointing out the last belongings that he has, saying this could have purchased one more and that could have purchased one more. And he falls completely apart. I think if I remember correctly, right at the side of the door of his car, reflecting on how many lives his car could have saved. This is a man who had given everything, risked his life to save many, to the point that he is buried in Jerusalem today, a Gentile, a non-Jew considered by the state of Israel a righteous man. How many more might I have saved? Cries Oscar Schindler. And I just want to encourage you as your pastor, and maybe I'm not even your pastor, maybe you're just watching me today by accident. I just want to encourage you to remember that the day will come when you stand before Jesus and you give an account to him of how you've lived your life. And like I said, I'm guilty of this and I'm learning from this and I'm going to move through this, okay, in greater righteousness. But I'm pretty sure you're going to want to look at Jesus. And I know that, you know, none of us are going to be like, okay, because we were okay. You know, as we stand before him, he's going to know it and you're going to know it, that your only righteousness is his righteousness. That's the miracle of the cross, right? As Jesus hangs there, his righteousness comes to you as your badness goes to him. So you don't stand there on your own merit. But to whatever degree the deeds of your life will be examined. And there's some pretty interesting instances in the New Testament where we see you know, pictures of the future judgment. And it's quite clear that an account is being kept and the day will come when you give an account for how you lived your life. And I would hate for you to stand there in that moment and realize that you blew it. That you wasted your life on your pleasure. You wasted your life on making your life easy. And you wasted your life on circling your wagons and taking care of your own when all along you had a massive opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your local context. So if you know, as I'm speaking, that you are the Egyptian princess in this story, then I wanna ask you to ask God 
what he is requiring of you because God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. So Lord, this is a moment of conviction for someone who's watching right now. I want to ask, Lord, for you to turn the screws on that. I want to ask, Lord, for you to uh, do that in my heart. I want to ask for you, Lord, to bring that dear one into situations where it is clear to them that this is their moment. This is their opportunity to give more than they've ever given. This is their opportunity to do more than they've ever done. This is their opportunity to lay their life down in new and exciting ways. And all God's people said, Amen. Maybe you said, that's me. Touche, preacher. Touche. Maybe um, you're just being asked to believe again. We find this part of the story in verses 7 through 9. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. This is beautiful right here. This is poetry right here. This is the redemptive work of God right here. Don't, <laughs> don't miss this part of the story because it is lovely. This mom, who just a moment ago has put her son in a basket in a river and sent him to his death, beyond all hope, now has her son restored to her again. I mean, somebody shout in this house. Is that beautiful, Dev, or what? She's just lost the baby. And now, through no work of her own, that which she has lost has been restored to her. Somebody say hallelujah. Imagine that moment when her daughter comes home with her baby son. And she's like, what? No, mom, it's okay. The princess of Egypt says it's all right. And in fact, she's going to pay you to nurse him. Say what? And I will restore the years that the locust has stolen, saith the Lord. Aren't you glad you came to church today? What have you lost that you are longing to have restored? What a great sermon this is today. Maybe this is your moment to find yourself in this story. You're saying, that's me, preacher. You know it without me even pushing any harder. You know that thing that you've lost, that you are dying to see restored. Well, I have boldness to pray into that. You know why? Because <laughs> God hears. God remembers. God sees. And God knows. So I just prophesy by faith the restoration of everything that has been stolen from you in Jesus' name. And Lord, you know the heartache that this dear one is dealing with. And you know, Lord, how impossible it seems to them that you could ever restore that thing that has been lost. But Lord, we declare it by faith. We say that it's already done. 
We lay claim to your promises. We remind you of who you are, Lord. You are the God who keeps covenant. You are the God who keeps his word. So Lord, like this baby was restored to his mother, would you restore to these dear ones that which has been lost? And somebody said, amen. I mean, how, how, how epic is that? Speaking of loss, maybe you're feeling angry about it. Maybe you feel like you've gotten a bum deal, like you've been shortchanged by life. Maybe you're angry at God. I just want to say, if you're angry at God, I have been angry at God too. I know how that feels, and I don't want you to feel bad about it. It's a totally normal response when cataclysm strikes your life. I spent about three years angry at God after my brother-in-law died. Okay, if you're angry at God, I just want to say I hear you. I know how you feel. Maybe you're angry because you feel displaced. Maybe you've lost your job and you feel like you have no identity. Maybe you're angry at God because you're just starting out in life and you're just finding that this pandemic has ruined everything. Like, how hard has this pandemic been for those of us who are under the age of 25? Of course, that's not me. Just a turn of phrase. Those of us, those of you who are 25 and under. Hasn't this been harder on you? The pandemic's been harder on my teenage kids than it has been on me and my wife. And you know that I'm talking to you right now. You're sitting there in your living room. And all the prospects that you were working towards, all the things that you had planned, are just gone. You don't even know where to start. Well, if that's you, guess what? You're in this story too. You show up in verses 10 through 14. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses. <laughs> because she said, I drew him out of the water. Moshe. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian, killed him, and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Here we meet Moses, the hero of the story, the man, in fact, who's writing this story many years later as he recollects the events. Moses enters the scene as a displaced, angry Jewish prince with an Egyptian name. Displaced, angry, Struggling with his identity. Is that you today? Are you 25 and under and you feel like all your dreams have been ripped away? If that's you, it's with love that I remind you that God hears. God remembers. God sees. God knows. So can I pray into your anger for just a minute? Lord, my friends are angry, and rightly so. They didn't ask for this season to come upon the world. They didn't ask for it to wreck their life. 
So Holy Spirit of the living God, would you reach into their heart right now? Would you minister the comfort that comes from you? And more than that, Lord, would you restore that which has been lost? And more than that, Lord, would you give them hope that that restoration is coming? And more than that, Lord, would you give them vision for a redeemed future with you? And more than that, Lord, would you give them favor and would you lead them into interaction with people who can help them take the next step? We believe it by faith, Lord. We ask that you'd put a smile on their face and peace in their heart again, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Maybe in this season, you're not angry. You're not displaced. You're not at the end of your rope, but you are being called to become God's friend. Maybe you're watching me today and you're not on team Jesus just yet, but you know that you need to be. If that's you, if you feel, even now as I'm talking about this, as I've moved into this next moment, you're feeling it right now in your stomach. You're feeling it right here. It's a knot in your stomach. That's your body agreeing with me. That's your body saying, yes, that's us. He's talking to us. Is God calling you to be his friend? If you're being called to be a friend of God, you find your part in today's story in verses 15 through 16. When Pharaoh heard of what Moses had done, he sought to kill him. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Friend of God, I don't see friend of God. You missed it. The priest is the friend of God. The priest of Midian. All true priests are friends of God. Yeah, I said it. They're friends of God. Well, Todd, you're taking the very positive, the most positive side possible in your interpretation here. Yes, I am, unapologetically so. When I see priests in the Bible, I'm like, unless it says priest of Baal, <laughs> I'm going to take the positive spin on it. I'm going to say, this man, Reuel, you'll meet him in just a minute, is a friend of God. This is what sets a priest apart. You know them when you see them. They're a friend of God. This is the deepest aspiration of my heart, to be God's friend. I pray on this every day, Lord, lead me into friendship with you. Let people look upon me and say, there goes a friend of God. This is how you want to be known in the world, as a friend of God. When you breathe your last breath, you want to breathe it as a friend of God. Going home to meet his friend. Going home to meet her friend. Somebody say amen. I want to be a friend of God. Is God calling you into deeper friendship with him? He's the friend that you need. Why? Well, because he hears he remembers, he sees, he knows. He's the friend you're looking for. To borrow a phrase from one of my favorite authors, he is the harbor of your soul's longing. So Lord, would you secure friendship now with these people watching?
for everyone whose heart is stirred now as I speak on this, would you just set that friendship in place right now in their heart and mind? Awaken that friendship within them, Lord, by a work of your spirit. Draw them into ever-deepening relationship with you. Lord, only you can do this. Step in now, Lord, and become their friend. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, so far, Pastor Todd, I'm feeling pretty left out because I'm just a normal person. Granted, these are some pretty spectacular people we have talked about so far. But I, you know me, I would not leave you hanging. No, I would not. I love Jesus, my wife, my kids, and you. I care about you. You can bet your butt I'm going to help you find your place in this story. I'm just a normal person. Well, guess what? We get to meet two different groups of normal people in uh, verses 16 through 20. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, there's his name right there, the priest of Midian, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Ah. Seven daughters doing chores and some shepherds. Okay, doing chores, watering the flock. And shepherds is your clue here. Shepherds is biblical code for blue-collar dudes, blue-collar gals. These are ordinary people, right? Remember the song? I am everyday people. That's you. I'm, I'm everyday people. You're everyday people. If you're just an ordinary person, there is a place in the story of God for you. I mean, hallelujah, right? These are just seven girls living at home, doing chores because their daddy told them to, and some working class dudes giving them a hard time. If you are a normal person, let me remind you, God hears, God remembers, God sees, God knows. So can I pray for you for the Lord to step into your mundane, ordinary life? God knows I could use some divine intervention. So, Lord, for all the daughters drawing water and all the blue-collar dudes and girls just doing work, would you fill them with joy today? Would you help them to find their purpose in you? And remind them, Lord, that the simple, ordinary work that they're doing is part of the story that you are writing in their life. Would you, Lord, redeem the ordinariness of their days and give them a sight of the far country, Lord. Lift their eyes to heaven and remind them of the fact that they have been built for eternity and that every bit of the story that they write today is significant, even in its ordinariness. And all God's people said, amen. And look, for the love of God self and others let me urge you to start believing in a new day again we find this new day beautifully in verses 21 through 22 
And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he, Reuel, the priest of Midian, gave Moses his daughter, Tzipporah. She gave birth to a son. And Moses called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Two more characters, a bride and a newborn son. How beautiful is this? Last we checked, Moses was fleeing from Egypt for his life because Pharaoh's going to kill him. Imagine him fleeing through the wilderness, doesn't know where he's going to end up. He fetches up in the land of Midian. Okay, it's pretty far. It's probably would have taken him a month to get there on foot. Fetches up against a well. Maybe he was like really thirsty. Maybe he'd been looking for a well. You tended to travel well to well, oasis to oasis, watershed to watershed. I grew up in Israel. It's a very arid land. That part of the world is tremendously dry. Fetches up against a well. And wouldn't you know it, maybe he falls asleep that night, wakes up the next day and seven girls show up. He's like, this is my best day. This is my best day right here. That's unexpected. Not only does he find water, but seven girls show up. And then some shepherds come to harass them, and he's obviously tough enough, Moses is tough enough, to deal with these shepherds. That's my kind of patriarch. I like that kind of guy. Right? You, you, you going to mess with these ladies? Or you going to mess with me? Right? <laughs> I, love I love Moses. Okay, deals with them. Girls are all a Twitter, and woo! That's, that's, that's a man right there. Then they go home to their dad. Dad finds, what, what? Bring him here. Let's feed him. And then the day comes when he marries him off to Tsipora, one of his daughters, one of those daughters that he saw that first day. And you can bet, I bet you, Tsipora was the first one who caught his eye. Yes, that's extra biblical, but I said it. Right, this is a bride, unexpected. This is joy, unexpected. This is goodness, unlooked for. And add a newborn son, why don't you? I already told you off the top that a newborn son is the sign of God's blessing. A newborn son. And what's he call him? Gershom. You know what that means? The dude from over there. Gershom. Gershama. The dude from over there. This is impossible hope come true. Are you waiting on impossible hope? Find your place in the story today, my dear friend. If you have been waiting on impossible hope, this story is for you. Maybe you're dealing with the same problem that Moses was dealing with. He calls his son the dude from over there because he was a stranger and a sojourner living in a foreign land. This is a man who did not belong. Okay, if you find yourself waiting on impossible hope, if you find yourself feeling like you are a person who does not belong, I'm here to tell you today, as a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, that a new day of promise is coming. Why? Because, receive it, God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. Dev, how fun would it have been to have hundreds of people in here to listen to this sermon? Oh, you would have been shouting right now. D did you hear what I just said? A new day of promise is coming. How do I know? Because... God hears, God remembers, God sees, God knows. So can I pray for the revival of impossible hope in your life? Yes, I can. Please do, preacher, please do. Lord, you know every single one under the sound of my voice. 
who's looking for impossible hope to come true. Let it come. Lord, let it come in their life. Resurrect that impossible hope in Jesus' name. Bring that goodness unlooked for beyond their wildest dreams into their life. Even this month, Lord, we declare it by faith. It's already done. Now look, let me pivot here to a word of warning. We already talked about the daughter of privilege. You might be someone whose life is all about clinging to your power. If that's you, let me urge you to stop it. Because even kings die. We get this in verse 23, part A. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. You are going to die. Are you living a life worthy of the word? Not death, but life. Are you living a life worthy of life? Touche, preacher. Let me urge you to re-examine your life this week and make sure that you are living it in such a way that it is worthy of the word life. I mean, you might think that you're getting away with mediocrity. It's kind of mailing it in. But let me remind you that God hears. God remembers. God sees. And God knows. You're not fooling him for a second. So you know this is you. Again, you have that knot in your stomach. I'm about to pray you into repentance right here. And pray the same for me. Lord, in so much as we have become comfortable, would you shake us up? In so much, Lord, as we have become complacent, would you interrupt our complacency? In so much, Lord, as we have gotten comfortable with not achieving greatness, would you grab us by the scruff of our neck? And throw us out onto the field. Get us into the game, Lord. Deploy us on your mission and culture to seek and save the lost and to work towards the renewal of all things. Bend our jobs. Bend our finances. Bend our time to your glory, our joy, and the good of the world. If you just had the gumption to pray that prayer with me, friend, I just want to warn you that your life is about to get uncomfortable, but it's also about to become a whole lot more glorious. And somebody said... Amen. Or maybe, you know, at the end of all, you're just a person, part of a people, crying out for help. Maybe you've been sitting this whole time, waiting to find yourself in today's story. And as person after person after person comes onto the page and then off of it, and you don't find yourself in their story, You've been worrying that maybe you're going to get left out. Well, maybe this is the spot where you come into the story. Maybe you are just somebody crying out for rescue. That could be, I mean, I don't have to be a prophet to say that that could be almost all of us these days. I mean, somebody shout at this preacher. You ready to be rescued from this situation? Heck yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. You ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Do you need rescue? Yeah, I need rescue. Yeah, yeah, I need rescue. Give it to me, preacher. Show me my place in the story. Verse 23 through 25 as we close. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Receive a church. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God like incense. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Are you crying out for rescue today? That's me, preacher. I'm crying out for rescue. Okay, that's you. Maybe be very bold right now and even just hold out your hand sitting there in your living room. Maybe you're listening to this on the podcast. You're on a bus or a train traveling somewhere. Maybe you're on an airplane. Maybe you're listening to this 15 years from now. Maybe I'm long dead and this is still being played on the World Wide Web. Just stretch out your hands right now. If you identify with this, if you are looking for rescue and receive the salvation of God, as we close with the words of verses 24 through 25, echoing through your heart and mind one last time, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenants with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. My dear friend, God hears. God remembers. God sees. God knows. So Lord, would you take this offering and seal it in the heart of your people for your glory their joy, and the good of the world. For the very last time today, all God's people said, Amen. Love you.